I told her, I don't have the time nor the inclination, ma'am, to explain to you the logistics behind a multi-billion dollar international airline. So why don't you go ahead and have a seat? When the gate agent calls your name, you're ready to go. Until then, I appreciate you to sit down. The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ideas. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 101 of the Squawk Ident podcast recorded on Thursday, February 3rd. 2022 from studio 433 at the hilton garden inn in arlington texas i'll tell you what in the middle of winter storm landon on today's flight rob d and kyle j and i discuss winter storm landon off schedule operations booking your own hotels uber rides rtgs checklist usage uncomfortable flight crew members and informational picketing we look forward to having you join us as we prepare to depart on flight 101 of the Squawk Ident podcast. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 101 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Captain, awesome, can you land? Joining us for this segment of the flight is an exceptional aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is an OSU Pistol Pete loving grad, an ASL linguist, a creator and director of the Aviation Business Information Board on Facebook, a cadet pilot mentor, new dad, and a DFW Airbus pilot at Legacy Airlines. From his podcast studio, where he is enjoying some extra time at home due to weather cancellations from somewhere in Roanoke, Texas, please help us in welcoming to the show... Mr. Kyle J. Kyle, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? All right, man. So you're at home. You're supposed to be flying right now, sir. What is going on? Well, uh, we got caught up in the uh, the winter storm and uh, coming back through DFW yesterday. Uh, had some maintenance issues on the airplane, and uh, uh, we were out of airplanes to uh, swap and uh, didn't quite make it down to uh, McAllen. Uh, last night and so uh came home last night and with uh, all the backups today in dfw uh, everything's canceled for today so i was uh, able to uh, get home mm-hmm. yeah it, much better than last year yeah yeah oh, but, the snow again was uh definitely uh <laughs> it, not just that but last year uh, a wife uh was pregnant she was eight months pregnant with olivia and uh, I got stuck down in Puerto Vallarta for three days. So, you know. <laughs> so while your wife was at home struggling with labor yes. pains and not having the support she needed, you were in Puerto Vallarta sipping margaritas on the beach. With the rest of the cruise. Yep. Yeah. Well, you had a responsibility to be social with your yes. crew members. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm glad everything worked out fine and you made it home. 
uh, today or last night. Um, so, man, just fantastic news that uh, that you're home and get to spend some time there. And you have a moment to share with us here on the show. We've missed you in the past couple of shows. And I know we've gone back and forth uh, talking about, you know, schedules and availability. And that's why we have so many Squawk Ident co-hosts is so that at least somebody's available to do the show. Now, also joining us today is another superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club at A&P and Avionics Tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Trapped by Winter Storm Landon on the 11th floor of the Sheraton in downtown Oklahoma City. Help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, I'm staying warm, and uh, I think I see uh, Jack Frost outside, and Frost see the snowman having a drink together. Yeah, <laughs> they're all uh, they're they're having a good time outside. Yeah, it's what crazy is, out there. What's the outside air temperature where you're at? Oh, you know, I haven't even checked, but uh, it's probably in the 20s. Let's see what the uh, weather channels calling it oh. it's cold though you know it's windy i think the gusts are up around 25 30 knots right now uh oklahoma city says it's 14 and the uh, wind chill is negative two so what? it's pretty chilly very nice very nice good day to go for a walk <laughs> yeah. yeah right going for I a good run out there <laughs> you have your cleats with you right <laughs> yeah i had my snowshoes with me well, current wind conditions in the Dallas Fort Worth area are three three zero at one nine, gusting two three nine miles viz, yeah. broken at one thousand seven hundred, temperature minus five degrees centigrade, and uh, pretty pretty high pressure thirty point two one on the meter. So not bad. Last yeah. night was a different story. We. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we ended up here in Dallas. Now, I'm not supposed to be in Dallas right now. I'm in Dallas, Fort Worth. I'm actually in Arlington, uh, home of the Dallas Cowboys training facility. Tell you what, dang it. Um, <laughs> what happened is we almost made it back to San Diego because uh, I was in San Diego two nights ago. And then yesterday morning, flew one leg into Dallas, had about a three hour sit. Uh, we were texting back and forth. Who's in Dallas? Let's get together. And, and I was the only one. Uh, and that three-hour <laughs> sit turned into a four-hour sit because of a delayed uh -huh. inbound flight. The TAF, the terminal area forecast, which is what aviators use to judge what the weather will be like at your destination at a particular time of arrival, so that you can judge legality of if you need an alternate or not, or what kind of approach is being used, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the TAF was indicating that we were going to have freezing rain starting up. About the same time we were originally scheduled to depart. So we knew, the captain and I knew, we were already on borrowed time. And the inbound flight was a little late, and I was at the gate watching the passengers deplane, and then the captain and first officer that brought the airplane in, and from San Diego as well, same flight number, uh, he said, hey man, uh, sorry to tell you, but we had to call maintenance. Uh, we had a, a low pressure indicator on the flight attendant control panel for the 2L door, which is the exit, emergency exit door in the mid cabin. And we're like, okay, well, they're coming out. You gotta do what you gotta do. 
So yeah, I did my pre-flight. Captain set up his nest in the cockpit, got everything situated, downloaded the appropriate flight plan and weather charts that he needed. And maintenance came out, took the book. They held boarding because maintenance was in the cabin taking care of an inspection. And after about 20 minutes, he came back and said, hey, uh, I checked the uh, the 2R door and yeah, it's, it's uh, fine. There's a little bit of binding. The pressure was good. We're going to just uh, make a note of it and you should be good to go. Are you okay with that? I was like, yeah, if you say it's good, it's good. Let's go. So we boarded up and now it started to rain. We get a message through the printer from dispatch from SOC, Systems Operation Control. And they said, hey, uh, they're going to be changing the METAR here any second to light freezing rain. Be advised that freezing rain or moderate freezing rain does not have any holdover times. They do not exist. Meaning the de-icing process that you are inevitably going to have to, to go through, there is no holdover time. So takeoffs are not authorized. So we knew, again, we were on borrowed time and we needed to get out of there. Well, as we're sitting there, they start to board the aircraft. Maintenance had just handed over the book and we hear, ding, APU bleed fault. Now, at this time, the APU was running. The bleed air from the APU or the hot uh, air that comes off the APU that we use, the pneumatic air that we use to start engines, to run air conditioning and heating packs, things like that, uh, it had a fault. So it stopped. It shut off. And it's like, hey, while you're here, can you take a look at this? He's like, well, let's try doing a reset. Control, Alt, Delete. Now, it's not quite that simple in the aircraft. What we have to do is the maintenance has procedures. He downloaded it onto his tablet. Maintenance uses a tablet just like pilots do. And the procedure was to shut down the APU, pull a couple circuit breakers, wait 30 seconds, push the circuit breakers back in, restart the APU, and try the bleed. We did that, and it was hey. successful. Meanwhile, we're monitoring, while we're there in the, in the flight deck, we're monitoring operations frequencies in case we need anything like extra supplies, more fuel, whatever. So we're monitoring the frequency, and I'm hearing on low volume in, in the background, uh, yeah, we have APU bleed fault. We're going to call maintenance. Uh, oh, yeah, we have an APU bleed fault too. 20 Airbus A320s had the exact same ECAM message. Electronic clue alerting messaging. I forgot what it already stands for. <laughs> <laughs> so we've said it like four or five times in other podcasts. It's one of those things. It's it. an ECAM. That's all I need to know. ECAM. <laughs> yeah. So we got this ECAM message and every and 20 other people. Now it was raining heavily. It wasn't quite freezing rain, but the temperature was zero, zero. So centigrade. So it was right at the freezing point. And that's what the dispatcher was saying at that time. They were sending us this message. Hey, you can anticipate they're changing it to freezing rain. If it's light freezing rain, you do have holdover times. Consult the chart. But if it's moderate or greater freezing rain, you're, you're done. So the procedure was successful. He handed us back the book. We're now boarding the aircraft. Life is good. We're all just wanting to get out of there. We didn't want to be stuck in Dallas with, with the weather. And I know, Kyle, you were talking about having 
the cancellations start to to come up. They started canceling flights yesterday for today. And it just it's one of those things where you can see the snowball coming. <laughs> you just everything in your body says to get out of the way, but you just can't make it happen and you get hit in the head by a snowball. <laughs> that is right. exactly what it was like on the flight deck. And uh so we we push off the gate and we're thinking, holy mackerel, we're getting out of here. And the captain goes, yes, we're getting, I'm like, don't say it. Don't say it. Because <laughs> you guys know what happens, right? <laughs> and we get, ding. And like, okay, I'm, I'm in the process of starting an engine. The captain had just given the salute to the ground personnel. So they, in the tug and the tow bar and the, you know, the three thugs in a tug, right? They all drive off. <laughs> And, uh, and he answers the flight attendant and it's our purser, our number one flight attendant. And she says, uh, my panel indicates that the two L door has a fault in the pressurization. No, like, we just, maintenance was just out here. We, we, we delayed this flight even further than it was already delayed to get this clear. They cleared the book. What are you serious? So she's like, yeah, I took a picture of the gauge and it's in the green. So. I don't know what to tell you. And our book says to let you know and maintenance is supposed to look at it. And the captain says, well, Tony, what should we do? And mind you, we had a jump seater as well, a new hire jump seater that was getting a ride home. And we, the three of us kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, you know, everything on our engine crew alerting display says the slides are armed. Everything's good. The physical gauge says it's in the green. And we start scratching our heads going, could it be the same issue with rain and, and sensors and her panel says one door, it's, it's armed, but it has low pressure. Is it the slide pressure? The slide may not inflate. You know, the gauge is in the green. It says that the slide has ample pressure. It must be an anomaly. So we had a little bit of a debate and the captain asked me, you know, what do you think, Tony? And I said, well, we live in a world where it's all or nothing when it comes to feeling comfortable. Why don't we, why don't we just to see what's going on, let's ask the number two flight attendant that's sitting there what she thinks so that we can have this break down this barrier of communication and, and just make sure that we're all on the same page here. Because if we go right back to the gate, we were debating, you know, possibly this could be an anomaly that's, you know, maybe something we can overlook. But at the same time, I'm thinking... Anything were to happen, it's we're the ones that are going to be on the carpet doing the dance. So just as a process, we had the, the number two flight attendant come up and talk to us. And she said, I don't feel comfortable sitting there. That door might swing wide open during flight. I don't even want to sit there for takeoff. I'm going to go sit somewhere else. And the captain goes, wait a minute. No, the door, no, the door doesn't swing open. It's mechanical. It will, it's the slide pressurization is what you're telling me. The fault is on your, on your panel. We don't even see your panel. But everything physical is saying that there's pressure, that it's, that it's good. Mm. So we're kind of just trying to get your take on things because you guys are the ones that are back there 24-7. We're, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this. I, I need to go back to the gate. And he goes, okay, well, let's see what happens. Well, we're finishing our flows and our checklist. Now I'm trying to get a word in edgewise with ramp to say, hey, let's go back to the gate. And I always leave 
like I can listen in on the communications that are happening in the cabin. And I like to leave that on, on my radio control yeah. panel at very low volume from pushback until takeoff. And when we're number one, I mute it so that it's not a distraction. And then after 10,000 feet, I reselect the cabin intercom on because more than once it's happened where they're asking for a, a doctor on board before they talk to us they're taking care of a medical emergency or a passenger that's being disruptive. They haven't talked to us yet, but I'm, as the pilot monitoring up there, I get a little bit of a head start. It catches my ear. Whatever I'm doing, whatever conversation we're having, it stops. We now are prepared mentally. We're not taken off guard when they finally call us a few minutes later and go, yeah, there's a guy back here having medical issues and we have a doctor working on him. And we're like, whoa, whoa. You know, so, so we're, it's a habit. It's a technique. Well, I did that, and I hear them having a conversation about, I don't feel comfortable with this. We can't take it. I'm going to call my in-flight manager, and, and I'm going I'm to have to report this and stuff. And both of us, actually all three of us up there, all look at each other like, let us, give us time to, to, to resolve this, okay? Come, and so the captain gets upset. I'm upset! So he immediately cues up the cabin intercom microphone, and, and that just the flight attendants can hear, not the passengers. He goes, do we have a problem here? Why are you talking behind my back? I told you we were going to handle it. Do we have a problem here? And she said, no, no, Captain, we don't have a problem. I was like, well, we're going back to the gate, but you have to, you know, just don't do that. Don't talk behind our back. If you have a problem, talk to us. We'll be more than willing to stop what we're doing and talk to you. So that was a little bit of a poker, adding to the stress level that was already there. And we talk about outside factors all the time, right? distractors and let's look yep. at let's add up what we had so far and we're not even halfway through our our situation here we had weather deteriorating we had de-icing procedures that were now relatively complicated because it wasn't just a straightforward oh it's snowing we're gonna get de-iced because we had factors there we had delays due to maintenance we had a recurring maintenance issue that was allegedly cleared in the book that reoccurred now we have cabin crew members that are uncomfortable with the situation. And in the past, in our history of aviation and flying, what the captain said went. If the captain said, ah, we'll just handle it when we get there, nobody said anything. No one dared go against what the captain said. It's his or her vessel, her, his or her responsibility. But today, we live in a different world. And if one person is uncomfortable, mm then whether they're right or wrong, they, we have to listen to them because a phone call is going to be made, a video is going to be taken, and something's going to get posted. Rob, have you ever experienced a scenario that played out like this? No, that's pretty unique. Um, so really, I, I know it happens, but it's pretty rare. Um, there, there's been some times, uh, you know, weather-wise, where people were uncomfortable going but, you know, they weren't the decision makers, you know, kind of thing. Uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, a cabin crew was nervous about taking off into the winch, you know, with the gusty winds or something like that. But, um, you know, it's our, as long as obviously if it's within our limitations and within our um, SOPs and, you know, we're, we're good to go. And then we use our, our judgment to determine whether it's safe. And that, that, those kind of decisions, it's not up to the cabin crew to decide whether we go or not. 
but they felt uncomfortable and they were, you know, they were voicing their opinion. Um, but, you know, in your particular case, uh, mechanical stuff, you know, that that's kind of, uh, it doesn't happen very often like that, you know, and, you know, obviously y'all, y'all, there was a, something going on, going on with the airplane. And I agree with you, nothing's going to happen to the airplane, but, you know, there's something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, since, since there's more than one or two sets of ears that are, you know, behind the door yeah. uh, of the airplane, then, you know, that's already, you know, too late. You kind of have to address it, <laughs> Yeah. you know, with, 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 with maintenance, but yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. With all the external distractors and the weather pressing, I mean, See, and this is part of the whole experience stuff that we continuously talk about is another factor where, you know, you kind of have to, um, you know, use, use your blinders or your, your earmuffs to try to, you know, um, ignore some of those external distractors and just work the problem um, that's, you know, immediately in front of you, which is, you know, at that point, the airplane, the weather's irrelevant at that point because you know, you haven't, you haven't launched into it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just <laughs> you know something I mean? on the horizon and you have to take yeah. care of the immediate. Now this goes For against sure. the human factors that we discuss as aviators from the very first day of our private pilot training is we, we are so focused when we're learning to fly that we have this tunnel vision, this laser focus, because we're trying to keep it on the rails within PTS or whatever you call it nowadays. And as you get more experience, your field of vision widens. And now you can kind Definitely. of get a bigger and bigger picture until you see the whole picture, you know, hopefully before you upgrade to become a command of an aircraft right. or pilot PIC. Now, Kyle, you deal with a lot of student pilots, cadet program, you're mentoring a, a quite a few people right now are hiring practices from now and into the future are going to be out of control. I honestly don't know how uh, the airline companies here in the U.S. are going to be able to keep up with the demand and the numbers that they keep publishing. No, having the background that you do, having your father, who is uh, a very senior Czech airman uh, here at Legacy, so you know that mentality. And at the end of the day, and I've said this from day one, it's all about protecting your certificate. If you get called into a commission, a, a, a place where there's judgment to be had, FAA review board, anything, are the decisions you made with the interest of safety to the flight first or your own interest first? Kyle, how do you see this from a more, I hate to say company perspective, but how do you see this from a perspective of protecting your certificate? Well, Tony, uh, safety is always going to be the number one issue. Is the airplane is safe to go? Uh, the weather safe to go? Uh, obviously, you make those decisions as a crew. Um, but uh, in this particular case with the door, um, if they didn't feel comfortable, uh, main, if maintenance came on, said it was okay, if everything indicated up front, uh, uh, if they're still uh, getting panel issues in the back, uh, maybe come back to the gate and get it checked out again. 
And if, if somebody is uncomfortable, uh, you can't force them to go. It's that's just the number one thing. Everybody's comfort level is different on whatever situation you're uh, facing. And, um, in this case, uh, I would have returned to the gate and, uh, get it looked at again. And, uh, if that flight attendant needed to be removed, then, uh, uh, so be it, or, or, you know, if, uh, if it was, uh, that big of an issue, find another airplane, but, uh, yeah, everything goes back to safety and you guys hit it, the nail right on the head, um, between all the, uh, the phones recording the, he said, she said, um, it, it, it's your word against their word, but at the end of the day, um, as a PIC, you're not only looking after the airplane, you, you got a full crew, you got to accommodate, uh, in, in situations like this. Yeah. And this is what ended up happening. Just like you said, we had to make these decisions as a crew. And although we kind of saw it as Hey, in our experience, it wasn't really a safety to flight issue because we believed at the time with the information that we had that everything was in the green and this electronic or computerized panel, a touchscreen panel that they have there in their galley, says eh, that something was wrong with the pressurization of the door. It, d- it just said door slide fault. That's all it said. So we thought it was the door slide. Well, we were like, hey, you know what? I know we were kind of leaning towards getting checked out where we went, which the company would always say, no, 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 get, you know, liability is what runs airline companies, not safety, not money, not customer service, liability. The company is going to protect themselves from being liable. So they'll always back up a crew that makes a decision to return to a gate, delay a flight, cancel a flight because of safety, because the repercussions of something happening where it could have been avoided are too great of a loss financially, reputation-wise, I mean, everything. So we're like, you know what? I know we're kind of talking about this, but at that point, the captain goes, yeah, we're going back to the gate. You know, we kind of already decided that, but now it was like just in your face. And so we went, what, we went back to the gate. What I didn't like about the, the flight attendants was uh, them all talking amongst themselves and not talking to the flight crew. There's, there's the first issue Yes, uh, that if anything would have come up, that would have been, well, we weren't notified in the, the cockpit and, you know, we're a crew, uh, we're supposed to communicate. And, um, in this case, it didn't happen. And luckily you guys were listening in on the conversation. I don't know how many crews do that, but, uh, um, you guys were listening in and, caught it prior to any issues because let's just say hey uh you're doing your your after start checklist and your flows and all that we're all right we're mentally thinking okay we got to get de-ice we're behind schedule uh we have a limited window to get airborne and in the back they're talking about i don't feel comfortable i'm calling my manager well how do you know while we're taxing out um that they don't feel comfortable without calling you guys. Right. You, don't. you don't. So, um, and that's one of the first things that uh, we brief that I've picked up on a lot from a lot of captains. And uh, even when I've been in the left seat with people, um, if you have any issues, we're a crew, we got to operate together, speak up. 
um, any issues, any problems, uh, any safety related things, um, speak up because, uh, that's how things get resolved. Yeah. Well, it gets better because <laughs> when we return to the gate, remember earlier, I said there were 20 aircraft that had APU bleed faults happening. Obviously you don't get 20 airplanes having the exact same error message unless there's a common denominator, and that was heavy rain at a freezing point. So clearly, there was a sensor in the APU bay, which is in the tail cone of the aircraft, that had some kind of problem with the moisture level or the cold. The cold, not so much, because you know when you're flying at altitude and when you're, you're operating in cold weather, this never you never really see this. But with all the heavy rain, clearly some sensor, some cannon plug, some electrical component was being shorted, causing the bleed valve to not either not know if it was open or closed or be in an intermediary position. And because of that, the fault would automatically close the APU bleed valve. Now you don't have pneumatic air to do things like start engines, run heating. So we knew that maintenance was going to be overwhelmed and it was going to be now a long period of time before we got the service that we were requesting. We returned to the gate. Now we had no jet bridge driver. Now, Dallas is famous, at least for legacy airlines, for using an electronic component that's called the DGS. The DGS is the digital guiding or gate guidance system. And what happens is, instead of needing a guideman or wing walkers, and I don't know what the woke terminology is for guideman, a guide person? <laughs> that was probably it. Yeah, so you don't need that. All you need is the DGS, and it tells you, first it identifies your aircraft, so you have to identify, it. like if you're flying a 321, it should say 321-200, uh, and once you get within, I think, 35 feet, it starts giving you a countdown. It tells you left, right, tells you slow down if you're going too fast, and then once it counts down in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, stop. And that's when you stop, set the brake, shut down the engines. At that point, the clock stops. The flight crew stops getting paid. It is no longer the parking brake set and a door open. 16 feet, Tony. Oh, once you get to within 16 feet? No, no, no. It it stop yeah it's, it stops within sixteen feet so if you don't see a, a jet bridge driver just tell the captain to stop just short of sixteen feet just and you're still on the clock you're still on, oh so see almost stop at seventeen feet yes tell them to stop at twenty feet <laughs> yes but here's the problem yeah. the the we couldn't really see because of the design of that particular jet bridge at at that gate we couldn't see we saw the light was on we assumed we had enough going on we weren't thinking about that. We park at the gate. So now, call operations. Yeah, we need a jet bridge driver as soon as possible. We have maintenance, you know, it's going to be coming. We're also a return to gate. So I had to contact SOC, let them know we return to gate and why. Now we had to make PAs to the passengers. We, I mean, we had already made PAs throughout the whole process. This is why we're returning to the gate, ladies and gentlemen, this and that. Now we get a message from SOC. You no longer have light freezing rain. Now it's moderate freezing rain. All operations, landing and takeoffs have stopped in Dallas-Fort Worth. Right. We could have been in the air, but we had this issue. We had to take care of it. There was no, there's no choice. The options are out of our hands. And when yeah. maintenance came on board, 
a few of them came on board. And they went back, and with their flashlights and everything, they looked. The door has two gauges, not one. So when we saw pressures in the green, when the previous maintenance worker saw pressure was in the green and they signed it off as pressure okay, they didn't realize it wasn't the slide at all. It was the actuator, the hydraulic actuator, that assists the door opening when you open the door and the slide is armed. That actuator has its own gauge. That gauge, you have to look with a flashlight through a crack in the apron that surrounds it near the door hinge. That was in the yellow. Barely, but in the yellow. So they had an indication on the flight attendant control panel that we were thinking maybe it's just a false thing with all the rain because that's what's happening with these APU bleed valves. And it reminded me of an email that the company has sent out for years periodically. We are not allowed to diagnose mechanical problems as flight crews. Systems knowledge is only there to help assist in the knowledge of how the system works, not how to fix it or troubleshoot it. And thus opens a whole new debate, which we won't be getting into today. <laughs> so we both looked at each other, the captain and I, very humbled in the situation. Though we did the right thing and put safety first, put the comfort of our crew members first, and returned to the gate without argument, we were humbled in the fact that something else was going on, and it wasn't what we thought. And we both looked at each other and said, man, we really uh, dodged a bullet on this one. Now, was it a safety to flight issue? No. What are the odds of having to open a door in an in-flight evacuation or you know, evacuation? Or, or the, the plane's going to fly perfectly fine with that. Right. The door is not going to pop open in the middle of flight yeah. or takeoff. You know, all these yeah. things that were outside factors being thrown at us. Distract, yeah. Distractors. Um, and so you have to have a little humility. And I kind of felt a little upset at myself that I was kind of pushing like, oh, really? Look at all, you know, we're not going to make it out of here. The weather's going to get bad. And it just reminded me that slow down, take your time. Always put, when in doubt, put the safety of everybody on board first, including yourself, and just go get it checked out. We get paid by the minute, even though the clock stopped and we had to wait 20 minutes for a jet bridge driver. <laughs> so we sat there 20 minutes, you know. Like, eh. Did they put RTG back on your schedule? Uh, yes. Yeah, they did. Okay. Yeah, right. we, we, we ended up sending whatever okay. appropriate uh, right. messages uh, that the captain took care of and to make sure that we were justly compensated yes. for our time okay. that we're responsible for the flight. If you're responsible for the flight, you should be compensated as such. So um, that turned into a canceled flight because one, no flights were taking off and the TAF wasn't going to improve anytime soon, not within the, the, next, the following few hours. Two, they had to deplane the aircraft and open and close the door in order to check it and pressurize it. And they wouldn't do that under those weather conditions with passengers on board. On top of that, maintenance didn't want to do that at all in the elements. They wanted to take the plane to the hangar. At first, we were told 
they're going to find you another airplane. And I said, wait a minute, you got 20 broken airplanes and you're going to find me another airplane in the next hour before we time out? Nah. So after a good sit in the operations center at Dallas for Legacy Airlines, we finally got, hey, you're canceled and, you know, go ahead and take care of booking yourself a hotel. Have either of you gentlemen have to, had to use the Biz Hero app? No. I'll refuse to use it. Uh, oh, both of you. Okay. I have it on my iPad, but I, have, I haven't used it yet. And I've read some pretty, uh, what do you call it, social media, uh, social media posts that were people were pretty pissed off that it didn't work or you know, they had to, or they had to use it or were not contractually obligated to use it or whatever. Yeah. So, so what's, here's, what's happening with that. When we have off schedule operations, meaning more than I think 6% of the flights are canceled or delayed due to weather systems, acts of God beyond the control of the airline, we have what's called off schedule operations. Some other airlines call it different things. Uh, what did we used to call that over at uh, Sandpiper, uh, I, uh, IROPS or irregular ops? IROPS, yeah, irregular operations. Yeah. So whenever the company announces this, they also send out an email, at least over at Legacy, that we have to book our own hotels. Why? Because years ago, the company decided to outsource the hotel and transportation services to an outside vendor or third-party app, third-party vendor. They take care of all the contracts and reservations for the hotel accommodations and transportation for every single crew member in the company for every single day of the month. When everything goes to plan, it's a relatively smooth operation. The minute you throw a wrench in the system, things don't get corrected in a timely manner like they used to. Now, the company would know there's a weather event coming in and they would have people on standby, ready to go, working from home, what have you. But when you contract out the weather, or the uh, hotel and transportation services, you, you have no control over what their staffing ability is or their, what they're doing. So that's what's happening. And now this app that we have in our EFB, we as a crew member, if it's announced that we're to use it, we can book our own hotel through the app. The company pays for it through the company's credit what have you, that's on file, and you book your own hotel. Now, the transportation is another story. If you book a hotel that is at the airport, they usually have a van, no problem. But when you have massive cancellations in a weather event in Dallas with two to four inches of snow, which that's what we've had so far today, then good luck. So we found a hotel that was a little further south in Arlington, and the captain says, you know what, let's both book the same hotel at the same place. Uh, and we were sat there with both of our EFBs. We each booked our hotels. And he says, I'll Uber it and expense it. And that's what we did. And we got to the hotel a little after midnight last night. Uh, very wow. much delayed. Uh, but it was a painless process. Uh, people at the gate or at the front uh, desk were very, very... Uh, accommodating, and they actually knew we were coming. They had our names. They had everything printed out, ready to go, our rooms ready. So it's actually not a bad process. Um, I tried calling the hotel desk. They never answered the phone. They actually hung up after 20 minutes of being on hold. So that's when we decided, you know what? Let's just do the biz hero thing. Um, Yeah. 
And then today they canceled my flight leaving. So now I have one flight today, which is DFW to Sandia, no, DFW to Ontario tonight. Um, and whether or not that airplane departs from Denver, where they currently are scheduled to depart from in the next 30 minutes will be very interesting. <laughs> it, it will, Tony. They're used to the snow. <laughs> yeah. Well, they whether they depart is not really as questionable that's, as, that's as if they really land. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the, it looks like the weather is going to, I don't know. I was looking at the weather um, app now. It, doesn't, it looks like it st should start letting up here pretty soon. But yeah, it actually anyway. stopped snowing here now. So um, yeah, that's a good thing. And we'll be right back right after the break. Thank you That's for a crazy story, man. Yeah, thank you for uh, entertaining me as I explain that uh, uh, yeah. the situation there. But yeah, making a sound decision, putting safety first, and thinking about the L word. It's unfortunate that we can't just go look. You know what? What's good and what's wrong. It turned out that it was the best decision because there was something going on that we didn't even think of. We thought yeah. we knew better, but we didn't. So if you find yourself in this situation, keep that in the back of your mind. We get paid yeah. by the minute. And whether or not we get there, get their itis, go home leg, whatever. There's weather coming. I have plans on the layover. Don't let that sway your judgment. Yeah, yeah a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of aviators use the, uh, the comical phrase, you know, hey, if you have a decision to make, Let's start at the NTSB hearing and work your way back. And that should help <laughs> you make the decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or you could, you know, let's start at the chief pilot's office and work your way back. Or let's start at, you know, in the living room talking to your wife or how you got yourself into the situation and work your way back. So, you know, it can go a whole, many, a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, Kyle, <laughs> uh, recently I've been following, as I do every day, your aviation information business board um, and, you know, fantastic articles every day about the industry, about our industry. I think it's important that we all at least spend a few minutes a day to keep up with, uh, with our careers because it's important to have this knowledge. If you just show up and do your job and, you know, clock out, go home and never think about it again, that's what a lot of pilots do, especially at this level. Um, but I think it's important. Now, you, you recently put up a posting about an article that Legacy Airlines is going to be getting a lot of airplanes. What, do you, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> yes, Tony. Uh, well, uh, we're supposed to uh, get uh, 16 787s uh, between uh, last year and this year. With the manufacturing issues, uh, only one was delivered last year. So everything mm. was pushed back uh, to this year, to 2022. Beginning of the year, Boeing came out and told Legacy Carrier that, uh, or Legacy Airlines, that uh, um, we shall receive the rest of the 16 787-9s this year. Um, and that was January. Uh, a few days ago, uh, uh, regarding the article, um, 
it was announced that uh, still uh, due to uh, manufacturing issues, which are meaning we're not getting supplies uh, in the timely fashion as what was proposed, um, that we're only getting four 787-9s. However, uh, with all the MAX issues the last couple of years, uh, those airplanes have been uh, continuing to be built. And uh, we do have a firm order of 30 of those. Um, they did not come out with the timeline of those. However, uh, I, and I'm guessing it's going to continue on our order uh, books to uh, replace the older aircraft. Um, so we'll know here another quarter or two. I think they're going quarter by quarter basis, depending on the manufacturer. Uh, uh, needs um, for future delivery dates. Um, but in the meantime, with all this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Boeing has uh, agreed to pay legacy airlines uh, the money that we're losing on these routes that we've already announced two years ago. Um, and that could mean anywhere from paying for the route to restructuring an airplane deal, maybe re, uh, negotiating on the 777X. Um, there's tons of variables uh, that go along with it that uh, they usually keep hush-hush. But uh, um, so in, in, in hindsight, we're not really losing any money right now. We're actually... Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say making a profit off of it, but we're not losing any money. So Boeing's paying for it. Um, and in the meantime, this last two years, um, between all the legacy carriers that operate the 787, uh, they have talked about um, increasing the thrust on the engines, um, sort of like the thrust bump on the, uh, the Airbus, the three, 321 thrust bump. Um, which uh, not only increases range, but it increases your thrust where you can get up to altitude quicker, your range, your fuel, your, uh, fuel efficiency. It's supposed to add about 500 miles uh, range to the airplane, which wow. yeah, that's another hour flight. So, yeah. uh, and I, I think right now it already has about a 16, maybe 17 hour range as is. So, I mean, it, it's almost a, <laughs> 20 hour airplane. Um, so, um, so with the max orders, the seven, eight orders, the Neo orders coming in, uh, we're supposed to start receiving, uh, the XLR, uh, the end of, uh, uh, this year, I believe either the end of this year or early start of next year. I, I don't have the article in front of me, but, uh, supposed to start receiving those, um, It'll be interesting to see what type of routes that uh, the legacy uh, airline is uh, uh, airlines going to be doing. Um, it's I, I believe it's going to open up a lot of the smaller, not only European markets but uh, Central South American markets as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting to uh, see uh, where they launch those strategically, and uh, and go from there. Yeah. Wow. And Recently, Legacy Airlines announced uh, their fourth quarter losses, and mm -hmm. it was how many billions? It was a lot. 
It was a lot. Um, however, uh, right before they posted all this, they um, uh, an agreement was voted in to I forget the term right now, but uh, to kind of even out the losses over X number of years. Um, and that would prevent any sort of buyout, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting mm-hmm. or a merger or buyout or type of deal where um, if you owned a, a, over a certain percentage, then the rest of the stockholders would pretty much equal the playing field uh, for this. And I, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of the uh, uh, bigger Fortune 500 companies do this, but uh, it was just kind of interesting to uh, see how they can uh, even out the debt uh, throughout the years. Um, just yeah. kind of push it off. But as long as there's a plan, I guess they can, uh, they can do that. Yeah. And I was always curious that whenever you have such a loss and it's understandable, every airline's going to show some kind of loss right now. Uh, it behooves them to, to show that for tax purposes and otherwise as well. But you know, all these aircraft orders, it's kind of like you're hearing one thing where you're, Oh, we're getting all these airplanes in the next, you know, four or five years. And at the same time, we're we're, we're losing money, uh, you know, billions of dollars every quarter. And it's like, wait a minute, what? And, and what I would like to add to that, Tony, is a lot of people don't realize uh, our legacy carrier, like our legacy airline, we were the first airline out of all the majors uh, or out of all the legacy carriers for aircraft orders. So um, the rest of the players are going to ha- are going to be the exact same boat that we are in. However, the good news that uh, we're in right now is that all of our uh, loans are at a cheaper rate than what uh, they're anticipating for new order airplanes for the other carriers. Right. So um, I'm I'm not a uh, uh, an accountant, but uh, for just an average guy, it sounded okay to me that we're. Uh, if you think about it that way, uh, we're sitting in a much better spot than our competitors. Yeah. And time will tell. Um, now we have the ushering of a new CEO coming in next month. Uh, the current president will switch seats with our, uh, with our current CEO over at Legacy Airlines. And once he takes the, the realm it, or the helm, uh, it'll be interesting to see what changes come because there's always change when there's a new chief right. sitting at, at yeah. the TPN. Oh, yeah. Day one, day one, there's going to be a laundry list of, all right, this is now the new, you know, yeah. new president of this and so and so is doing that. I mean, that's, yeah. I think it, I, I, I think it's good. I think, uh, you know, the current, the current CEO, you know, he, he's got quite a legacy with, you know, being the CEO of, of airlines for what, 20 plus years. Yeah. And, you know, overall, you guys did a fantastic job. You know, do I, do I agree with everything or did, did I have problems with some of the things? Of course, you know, I think a lot of people will, but, you know, overall, when it comes to, you know, keeping up with uh, the, the industry and, you know, the global market, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, 
you know, this, he did a great job. So hats off to him. And I'm very excited, you know, to have a new CEO who's obviously been with us for <laughs> forever too. Um, but, you know, I think uh, sometimes you need somebody new and in charge to uh, take you to the next level or, you know, just get you through the current situations and, and, you know, move yeah. on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to have a fresh pair of eyes on, on a time of change where there's a lot that is yeah. going to be happening strategically for the company. Now, in terms of pilots and aviation, I, I mentioned I had a jump seater and this week I've had two flights with jump seaters and both were new hires. One was a new hire on their way to Dallas to finish up their training. The other, last night, uh, unfortunately, he actually had a pretty good story. He had just finished his last leg of IOE. And he was a 737 first officer. He was telling me he spent four years at Sandpiper. And he got hired. Four. And he got hired through the front door, not through the flow. Oh, okay. He was one of the very few that actually have that opportunity. But he had been flying for quite some time at different regionals, and he had some military experience uh, on his belt behind him, you know. And so he, he definitely spent a very short time at Sandpiper on the 145. So we, we knew a lot of the same people. We were having these conversations before all of this, you know, heavy load was happening with, you know, maintenance and returning to the gates or RTGs, as we mentioned earlier. Um, so he ended up, we're like, what are you going to do? Because he was LaGuardia based and he was doing a two-legger to San Diego to his home. So he did LaGuardia to Dallas. And then we had all this issue going on last flight of the night. It got, you know, canceled. So like, he's like, well, I'm responsible for my own hotel because I'm just on my way to work. The company's not going to give you a hotel if you're commuting. That's your responsibility. So I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do. Good luck, you know? And, and so we saw him as we were walking t- towards ops after we deplaned and we're off the plane. And he goes, I just got a trip. <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, I called crew scheduling and told him, I don't know what I should do. And they're like, well, you want to fly? You're legal to fly because you only flew like one leg today and you're still within your <laughs> time period you will give you we'll give you a layover an overnight that's a hotel for you and he goes i'll do it (laughs) nice premium probably too probably (laughs) so here he is a new hire and he's already working the system he's like well it's going to be hard pressed to find a hotel tonight i'm commuting so i'd have to pay for it myself let me volunteer for a trip as long as i'm legal for it and the company will then issue me a hotel and i'll just you know go home tomorrow whatever and that's exactly what he did i'll be like good job man yeah (laughs) Wow. Well, I also wanted to talk about checklist usage. Now, checklists from day one, we realize how important they are. Uh, I can remember not so long ago, one of our featured guests was telling us a story how he kind of skipped over the checklist and did it by memory and had an engine fuel starvation problem with an emergency return. Pete Tenderenda on that show, when he talked to us about doing his night solo cross country. And 
because he didn't have the checklist in his hand and used it, he forgot to turn a valve on the fuel check sump valve on the engine. And what was happening is the carburetor was being starved of fuel. So his engine died. And then as soon as the fuel came back a little bit, then it started up again and then it died. And he was able to hobble back to the airport safely and land with his heart getting close to having a heart attack at 20 something years old. <laughs> Me too. While I was listening to him tell the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a great story. And, and he was so kind enough to, to share his experience with us in an effort to bring that knowledge out that checklist usage is crucial. Well, I've got to admit, uh, earlier in the month, I had a scenario where we got to the gate and there was some kind of issue with something in the way the there was a cart in the way they moved the cart and then the jet bridge wasn't working and the captain made a PA to the passengers ladies and gentlemen the jet bridge is not working just bear with us you know have a seat be comfortable as soon as they can get that thing connected and then we're we had all these distractors so we finally you know we kind of like look around and we're like well let's start packing it up because who knows how long this jet bridge is going to take we start packing it up we're talking now the doors open the the flight attendant's like, you know, is anybody coming? Can you call them again? It's like, okay, we'll call them again. So, you know, they're deplaning. We get off the plane. We walk halfway up the jet bridge, and we, we get out, and we look back at the airplane, and the beacon light is on. And the captain and I look at each other like, what the f- Uh, did we run the shutdown checklist? I thought we did. Obviously, we didn't. So here we are, we both turn around, go back down. The beacon light was the only thing left on. But uh. still, it's, it's a minor thing. I, I catch it all the time. But what if it was more? What if it was an engine running? Granted, we would have had a bunch of alarms and bells and whistles going off at us if that was the case. What if it was a fuel pump? What if it was something else on that checklist? So, again, another moment of humility. Now, that happened to me, and I felt like a schmuck because, like, I mean, the captain felt bad. I felt bad. We looked at each other, and we're like, oh, we can't let that happen again. So I've developed a technique now. As soon as we get to the gate and the parking brake is set, I'll take my checklist, and I put it between the footholder and the um, MFD, and it stays there, and I will not take it out of there because it's right there in front of you until we run the checklist because we get distracted often at that stage in the game. Yeah. And it's something that you do day in, day out. You don't even think about it. A lot of times we read the checklist, the captain gives the responses and they're like looking out the window. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, have you ever had a situation like that? One time, one time we, uh, same thing, similar thing, got distracted forgot to run something uh and uh we didn't get off the airplane we were just kind of packing up our stuff and just something didn't feel right and said hey did we did we finish this and i don't know <laughs> let's run it real quick okay so yeah my my technique is any checklist usage i usually pull the uh, tray table out on uh, taxi out and taxi in and I'll, I'll fly with it, uh, in the stowed position. But, uh, that reminds me of 
uh, hey, we need to accomplish any checklist at that particular stage of flight. And uh works out well for me, especially when you get distracted like that. that uh, that's what it there's for. Yeah. And Rob? Yeah, I kind of adopted the similar technique with the tray table i mean that tray table serves multiple functions i don't i don't know how i survived in the 737 without the tray table but um yeah i i use the tray table as a as as a as a stand for my checklist and uh as we're you know when when it starts for the before start checklist my checklist is on there and and it's out there the whole time until the completion of the uh, before takeoff checklist is complete and, you know, as soon as we, you know, TCAS, T-A-R-A, as soon as their before takeoff checklist is complete, I put the tray table away, I put my checklist away and uh, go about the flight. And then um, obviously there's checklists to do on the way down um, arrival into the airport. Um, but um, terminating the flight as we pull into the gate, as we're pulling into the chocks, the tray table comes out, checklist goes on the table. And I don't put the checklist away until the checklist is complete. And then after that, I have my own little um, flow with I start checking all the checklist stuff that the captain responds to because, you know, you're, you're normally heads down into the checklist. And, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, parking brake, you know, him go on and checked and then I go at the same time. Yeah, yeah that's... it is on and check. You know, I mean, it, you, you could, but you yeah. know, it's just you don't need to. Uh, I mean, you, you kind of need, you know, if you're hearing what I'm saying, you kind of need to, but you don't need to like that. You know what I mean? Right. So after the checklist is complete, then I'll do my own little quick flow. You know, park and brake, fuel pumps, beacon, yeah. that whole thing. And and every now and then, I'll you know, I'll miss like the bleed for the APU or something like that. Turn it on right away because some some guys don't like to turn it on as soon as they get to the as soon as they shut down the engines or something like that, I think it's probably for the exhaust smell, but, um, yeah, we have a by that point, limit. they're put their heads are, you know, their attention is putting their stuff away and I'll just reach up there and go put it on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I think I the know, book says that, that three minutes after engine shut down before selecting the bleed air to prevent, uh, exhaust yeah, gases exhaust, from ground equipment leaks, and yeah. engine spool downs to enter the cabin. Blah, blah, blah. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it works pretty good with the Airbus with that tray table. I mean, that thing is a it works in in so many different ways than other than just holding your meal and and drink up there. <laughs> Do you let the tray table slam, or are you always very? Careful? I am a gentle tray table. I've I learned earlier early in my maintenance career that airplanes are not like cars. You know, cars you close the door by kind of slamming it. Mm-hmm. You know, Tonk. airplanes you pull it close you know you don't slam it close but every door every compartment and everything is is a i, I kind of gently do it i, I kind of treat everything like that too i, I don't like to add any extra force because i've had to fix things before yeah and um <laughs> yeah boats and airplanes are always uh, we, we call uh, them other women's names right they're always like named after yeah. a woman so treat it like yeah. a lady gentle yeah yeah, well, my, my daughter. I, I went through this with my daughter's doors, and they and they get kind of upset, and they go up, stomp up to the room. You'll get you'll get to this, Kyle. Uh, the kids will just slam the doors, boom, you know. And uh, at one time, they slammed it so hard that it like broke the door frame. 
Oh. So, yeah. So I took the doors off the hinges for them. And I was like, well, that, that'll solve that problem. Now, not only are you not getting privacy, but you're not going to you're not going to uh, be slamming any doors uh, for a while. <laughs> so fix that up and then, you know, painted it. I used some uh, Bondo epoxy mm-hmm. to, to, you know, put it back together, sanded it, painted it. So all looked good. Didn't have to replace the whole thing. And then put the door and, and she, oh, by the way, she had to help me do it. Oh, good. And so that was part of the, if you want the door back, you're going to help me fix it. You damaged it. So anyway, um, I learned that in my military career, just, you know, fixing things, um, you treat, treat it with a little more respect, you know, it'll last a lot longer. It'll treat you the way it's designed to be treated, designed to be, uh, flown and work. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a gentle touch guy too. Kyle, <laughs> be honest. Yep. G- gentle. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't like the noise. Yeah, you're an aircraft owner. <laughs> you are, you still were, you know, you were, yeah. you still are, you know, you understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yep. it's like that with everything. Um, I'm very particular. I'm not a germaphobe. As a matter of fact, I barely wipe stuff down. I just, I feel like my yeah, immune system needs to be on its toes at all times. However, I like the seatbelts. I make sure that. There are no crumbs left on the seat. The seat belts are crossed and fully extended and folded so they're not on the floor. The seat is always in the full upright position and full forward so that the next crew member can stow their bag appropriately without having to reach over and move the seat. I make sure every vent is open before leaving the airplane. (laughs) That's my pet peeve. You get in there and it's stifling hot. Those avionics... All those avionics and screens and monitors and computers, all of them produce a tremendous amount of heat, whether it's hot outside or not. And even with the airflow from the auxiliary power unit and the pack system, it still gets yeah. hot up there. On top of that, you have the greenhouse effect with all those big, nice, beautiful plexiglass windows, mm-hmm. whatever they're made out of. Um, it, it's all just hot, hot, hot. So I close yep. all the shades, I open all the vents, and I turn down the brightness on all the displays, regardless if it's going to be sitting there for 20 minutes or 10 hours. It doesn't matter. I yeah. do that simply because that's the way I prefer to find the airplane, and I'm going to extend that courtesy to the next person. Am I, and here's my question, ex- over-exaggerated? are you turning down the screens or are you turning off the screens no just down okay no i don't like turning them off because then you have to go through the cycle and if Mm -hmm. you don't turn them on in the right order then you get the pfd on the wrong side you have to hit the transfer button blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. yeah no i turn them down all the way down and some some airplanes when you turn them down they're like black other airplanes you turn them down and it's the same level as when you turn them up right (laughs) yeah the rio stats are dirty or whatever yeah yeah. Those the old AW airplanes, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you guys, what yeah, do you do, do the, the same? same Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Vents open, you know, just clean up yeah. your seat. I use uh, oh go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, oh no. Go ahead. Uh vents open, clean up your your seat, clean up the area around you. Um I don't turn down the 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 PFD or the MFD, but uh um just kind of tidy it up. Cause it's a pet pee of mine too. When the vents are not open and it's a hundred degrees out, you walk in, uh, uh, there's trash all over the place, you know, uh, and, and 
what kind of pushes me over the top is when a uh, crew leaves their trash bag full of trash. Yeah. We've walked on a couple airplanes with that. It's like, and you know what they used to do, Kyle? And I think we should bring it back. What you do is you look up the crew members of the previous mm-hmm. flight and then you find out where they're based and you march that trash bag right into their mailbox at work. Yep. <laughs> Put the tail number and the flight number. Yep. Tie a little knot in it so it doesn't spill and just shove that whole thing. They'll, you know, they'll get get it. But (laughs) let me ask you this. How often do you check your mailbox at work? I had to do it the other day. I got this cool present. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, me too. Squawk Ident logo on it. It's amazing. I don't know who snuck that in there, but. Special edition. Thanks. uh, Special edition for crew members only of the Squawk Ident podcast. Yes. (laughs) That was a nice surprise. Tony, yeah, very nice, Tony. Yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah, I want to do something <laughs> special for just us. And I have another pretty cool thing coming. I designed and ordered some t-shirts. Let's see what oh, they look like. Okay. And if they're great, we'll go from there. Okay. Right. Cool. So uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, uh, if we have time, Kyle, are you still good? Or you got a couple minutes? Yeah, probably about five minutes. All right. Well, I wanted to talk about informational picketing that's been going on. If you follow the news, a DFW had an event recently for the day in 20 degree conditions with blowing wind. We had hundreds of uh, pilots for legacy airlines on the curb at the airport, holding up signs. Informational picketing is what they call it. It's not a strike. It's not a picket line. It's just informational picketing. Why? Well, number one, it's illegal for transportation industry employees to strike without a judge telling them they could do so because we fall under what's called the Railway Act. Now, the Railway Act was not always in place, but has been in place for many decades. So we're not allowed to strike. We're also not allowed to have what's called a job action. That's when everybody goes, hey, you're going to call in sick? When? Friday. Okay, Friday, you're going to call in sick Friday? Yeah, I'm going to call Friday. Okay. Next thing you know, you have thousands of canceled flights because for whatever reason, hundreds or if not thousands of people decided to call in sick on the same day. That's also illegal. And if found guilty, there could be penalties under federal law. So the one thing we can do is picket, informational picketing. And another event is coming up on February 11th at the Los Angeles International Airport. The union that represents Legacy Airlines or our sister company, I could say, um, will be having an event. Yours truly will be in attendance. Why? Because we have been flying now for over two years without a current contract. What does that mean? That means our annual average index of compensation for the industry has not been occurring. That means every single first officer at Legacy Airlines, has left on the table about $20,000 worth of compensation from the average industry index that we have not been receiving. Why? Because we're flying under an expired contract. I also learned recently that we at Legacy have not had an industry gains contract since the year 1997, meaning Every contract signed since 19, after 1997 
has been in some kind of loss in compensation or benefits. A contract under duress, whether that be economic, socioeconomic, political, it, it's irrelevant. The fact remains we have not had a better contract than the previous one since 1997. We work hard. We are responsible for the lives of many, not just our passengers, but everyone associated with the aircraft that we are in charge of. Now, first officers aren't the ones that sign their name in the book, but trust me when I say if something were to happen, both the captain and the first officer are at the committee. They're at the board meeting. They're at the, the what do you call it? Congressional hearing. Yep. So you're both responsible and you both have a say. We no longer work under the totalian rule of the PIC. We are a crew. And when one of our crew members is uncomfortable, they have a say. And it's our responsibility to do the right thing and listen. Well, we should be compensated for that with the industry average. Delta just announced, Kyle, I saw you just posted this, that their contract is getting really close to an upgrade. Now, what can you tell us about that? Well, they're going for a different type of approach. And historically, it's always been um, throw money at the group and, you know, leave the work rules where it is, where it generally benefits some sort of way of the company. Uh, Delta's approach has been a little different. They have uh, realized that uh, compensation is... uh, not only uh, a benefit to have, but compensation is is not always uh, uh, what you're you're looking for in this case. Mm-hmm. Work rules are a a big factor, and when I talk about work rules with any contract, um, an hourly rate is just an hourly rate. However, if I have the ability as a pilot uh, to trip trade premium pickup. Um, uh, transition uh, months, um, things like that within the section six of the contract, uh, the hourly rate goes out the window because now you're getting double and they're, they're 200%, I believe, right now. Um, so you're, you're actually going to be making more than just the hourly rate. So they're taking that uh, angle, and the, they're not so much about the hourly rate. They're more going to be about the work rules and um, how, how, how it goes back to how can you play the game. Um, uh, I can make a lot more money uh, with the, the different work rules uh, than I can on the hourly rate, and that's, that's what their main focus on is right now. Yeah, so there are so many shells in the game, right? So one shell is what your compensation rate is. How much does a two-year employee make versus a 10-year employee make? What do they top, what does a topped-out captain, a wide-body captain make versus what a five-year FO makes on an aerobot? This is, these are all the, the very basic part of the contract is your compensation. But there are so many other shells in the game. There's what you pay for your medical expenses and your benefits versus what the guy down the street at that airline pays. Um, how many days off a month are you guaranteed? If your trip cancels mid-sequence, what are you compensated at? Are you just 
pay guaranteed for your trip, but now you're on a recovery obligation, which is a dirty word here at Legacy, which means you basically are now on reserve and they could do whatever they want. Last month, they used me and my trip ended under a recovery obligation 30 hours, actually 29 hours and 50 minutes after my original sequence was scheduled to end. And because I am qualified as an international pilot, I fall under the 30-hour rule. So although my flight canceled due to a mechanical, out of my control, they, I got to go home that night, but the next day they called me and said, we have a flight for you later tonight that goes into the next day. And I said, well, that starts way after my original trip ends. And the, I called my union rep and they verified it ends within 30 hours of when your original trip was ending. So it's legal. And yes, you have to do it. So there are all these little nuances, all the different shells in the game. Um, retirement benefits, leave of absences, medical leaves, all these things are put into the contract and they all have a certain value and at the end of the day it is a judgment or an opinion of who has the better contract now for years southwest and delta and JetBlue were the top three airlines ups and fedex were the top two cargos and everyone looked at their contracts as a starting point and then negotiated from there unfortunately with legacy especially, it was always a downward negotiation. <laughs> so we definitely need to get this going. So I'll be out there spreading the word to the public with hundreds of my fellow pilots at the Los Angeles domicile on February 11th. Cool, man. Yeah, I, I had to miss uh, the one we had in Dallas a couple Fridays ago because I had the COVID. <laughs> yeah but uh i was keeping up on social media and you know doing that kind of support with sharing the message and everything so but yeah it's important i agree with you and, and everything you said there's there's a certain amount of changes that need to happen to bring our contract current and um make it competitive with our our, our uh, competitors um and make it standard an, an industry standard um, we're, we're substandard in, in many areas, including scheduling, benefits, stuff like that. So, um, a big factor that I call it is uh, accountability, especially with Section yes. 6 stuff, is the ability for any company to do that with no extra compensation is just criminal. Um, yeah, that's true. Once you throw accountability into, okay, I'm taking you off your trip that's still going out or that canceled and you're getting home, you know, 30 hours later, uh, outside of the footprint that you bid for, um, uh, any company that has to start paying some sort of premium or penalty, they're going to leave you on your trip the best you can, or even, uh, in the trip early and they'll save them money. Cause then the whole trip, uh, saving them from paying you the whole uh, trip of a uh, premium. Yeah. So that that's, that's uh, what Delta is doing right now with their 
contract stuff. So accountability, they're take, they're going to take a lesser pay rate, but there's accountability with section six and better work rules and better insurance. And, uh, they're going for, uh, 20, 22%, uh, retirement, uh, retirement <laughs> stuff right now. So, um, yeah, so it's just it's all it's all about the contract, and whoever has the best contract is going to win out the most employees, right? So, and that we're in a good spot day, for that, right? Because here yeah, we are. Yeah. Every company that is the mainline carrier in the U.S. has announced astronomical hiring goals. Now's the yeah. time, and that's why I think our union is taking this opportunity to get the word out now to put some pressure on completing this contract. And it actually, I think, benefits the company as well because if we wait until after uh, Delta and United and and all these other carriers, you know, sign their contract, right? Our union's going to use those new contracts as a base. As a benchmark, and, and for sure. That benchmark, then we have to go back to the drawing board, and now that takes time. It's all legalese and contracts, and we're talking about Section Six of an employee contract. It's like a yeah. far aim. It's well, it reads like yeah. that. And and in addition to that, you know the the uh, you mentioned hiring. You know, I our uh, new hires are getting smarter. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a um, applicants market, so to speak. So you know they can take a look at the the situation and the naughty business that's been going on, you know, on the legacy side and make a decision whether they want to come here or not. They can look, see some of the other companies on how they handled their, you know, negotiations and stuff and decide, you know, is legacy the place I really want to be if this is how they're going to handle, um, or this is, you know, this is the kind of contract that they're going to accept or whatever. So, yeah. And with and with going back. What does Olivia to, think? Well, she thinks with all the uh the debt that our company is in right now that in order to pay down that debt, um, you gotta hire crews to fly it. So in order to hire yeah. crews, you gotta have one of the better contracts to attract people to come move airplanes for you. At the end of the day, yeah. it's it's all about supply and demand. And, um, finally, um, the regional days, I, I think are coming to, I wouldn't say an end, but they're coming to a, a change, a change where, um, we're going to go back to some sort of small airplane. And, um, if they want any sort of flying coverage, uh, regional wise, it's going to have to be a mainline aircraft. It's going to be a junior airplane. And uh, that's the only way that they're going to get people to come in through the door um, in order to cover all these routes. So, yeah, the uh, the future of all these airlines are changing and how they think um, just do with the demand. But once again, it goes back to the contract. Whoever has the better contract, that's where everybody's going to go. Yeah. Yep. For years, we've been talking about the hub and spoke system of the regional airline industry and how it was developed and why it was grown into what it is today and why they got more than 50 passenger jets. It was because they could fly more people with less pilots because those airplanes held more. Now, why are any regional airlines flying 88 passenger, you know, what they call the minibuses, right? That these 175s and, and whatnot aircraft. Well, because 
they don't have to pay their pilots as much. And not only that, they don't have to pay their flight attendants, their maintenance workers, their contracted out services because it's a regional and therefore they get it at a regional rate. So it makes sense for the company to use regional airlines to their benefit to, to feed the hub and spoke system of the wide body or the narrow body aircraft that the mainline carries. But Kyle, you're absolutely right. I've been saying it for years. The current system cannot sustain itself because we just do not have the numbers of pilots sitting in the wings ready to go. Sure, the mainline can can hire and flow back, flow through from main from regional because those pilots are qualified. But who's going to take over at the regional level? How many limited. people? It's very very we're, limited. We're limited because uh, e- even our legacy cadet program that I've uh, were involved with and had an episode to how to become a pilot with that. Um, we're not training as fast as the retirements and the demand needs, and um, a lot of people don't realize from zero time to CFI, it's at least a year year and a half. And on top of that, you got to have another thousand hours, which is another year, maybe a year. That we're talking two to three years down the road before they they even can get in the cockpit of an airliner. Yes. Um, so um, uh, I, I think, uh, once again, I think we're going to see shifts uh, with that type of flying in the near future because just uh, nobody's doing it. And also, uh, going back to the contract, um, people are willing to pay seventy, a hundred thousand dollars for flight training because now, uh, with all these bonuses, not only at the regional level, uh, but the what you can make at a legacy carrier, you're gonna re, you're gonna be able to repay back any sort of loan, any sort of debt, uh, where you couldn't. Uh, 20 years ago, making eighteen, twenty thousand dollars a year doesn't didn't make any sense to go through flight school at that rate. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say a pilot shortage. I think it's more of a, a, a pay issue over the last years, and it didn't attract people. And uh, not just the legacy. Uh, we're not just doing the. Uh, the legacy cadet program uh, United just announced, I think it's a aviator or something that they just announced yep. recently. Over in and, Phoenix, um, yeah. mm-hmm. um, wouldn't be surprised if Delta announced one here in the near future. Yeah. So um, then we're going to, and that might be it. That might be the entry level. You come in and we'll train you from here you go all the way through like they're doing and they're pro you know we're promising everybody jobs at some some uh uh at some part of their career uh, as long as we'll we'll help you with training we'll help you with pay we'll help you with loan stuff yeah um but you got to come work for us and, yeah and if you don't return. then you'll have to pay back the loan yep. at a higher rate or whatever in a time yep schedule so yeah it's definitely a way to build loyalty with your employee base by offering them the training and the funding for that um i think i'm I'm gonna make a prediction here and you guys tell me if i'm wrong age 70 maybe it happened you don't think so the the problem is we're getting into all the the european and the international uh countries that uh even now with 
uh, age 65 uh, won't even allow um, two 65-year-olds flying together. Um, so there's a lot of, depending on the country, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it age discrimination. There are restrictions there. Yeah, there's IKO, <laughs> there's IKO yeah. uh, medical <laughs> restrictions. I think yeah. that if that does happen, if the airline board that convenes uh, like, I think once a quarter, they get together all these CEOs from all these regional and, and major airlines in the U.S., they have this, this big conference. Um, I think if they get enough political power now with uh, even Sullenberger appointed to the um, ICAO uh, representative for the United States, I think it's possible that we could get an age 70 or maybe age 67 and a half uh, domestically. I, I can see 67. And, and uh, however... Um, by the time they pass any of this, once again, um, it, it's going to be five years down the road before anything happens. It's already going to be too late. And it's a band-aid yeah, it's solution. It's not going to help our immediate situation right no. now. No. No. So, um, you know, do I see the age? Yes. Is it a good thing? Maybe it's a band-aid on a long-term problem. Exactly. Um, that quite frankly, the airlines created it 20 years ago. So um, whoever thought it was a good idea, um, it, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and then, and then on, on the flip side of that though, if they do it, let's say extend it for domestic, I mean, how many pilots have you guys flown with that have retired and have gone and, found a little 91 job or a little 135 job flying 100 150 hours a year um most of the guys that i have flown with that are uh, about to retire have said you know if if they extend the age and there's some option for i only want to fly you know 30 hours a month 20 hours a month just to keep you know as long as i keep my medical just something to do i i do that right. in a heartbeat um, but yeah. then again, now you're getting into, uh, well, this guy's taking all the good trips, blah, 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 blah. Cause he's senior, yeah. um, that'll open up another can of worms, but, uh, yeah. we'll I know a see. lot of people want to go to 67. I think that's the, that's something that, you know, you know, social security kicks in at 67. I think it's full social security. So, um, you know, that'll fill bridge that gap, um, from the mandatory 65 to when your full social security benefits kick in and you know there's a whole you know financial um trigger at 67 for for most people so anyway i think uh i think you know when it in like you said in regards and respects to our current hiring um i wouldn't call it a problem but situation that you know the all the legacy carriers are, are finding themselves in the retirement 67 isn't going to you know if anything it'll just kind of stagnate it for two more years right i mean we saw <laughs> so, that stagnation when the 60 rule turned into the age 65 rule it was a band-aid at yeah. the time uh it was one of the last uh, acts as uh, the president uh, bush was leaving office to, to change it from 60 to 65 
Uh, he had approved it, and it was a Band-Aid. It it, and it was a stagnation for people like Rob and myself, who were FOs at the time getting ready to upgrade, and all of a sudden that all got slowed down by a few years because of yeah. it. Um, so it's not good for the pilot group to see an age increase. Now, if you're at the top 1% of the pilot group, the ones that are getting ready to retire, that want to continue to work, that feel that they have yeah. the mental capacity, the physical capacity to continue to fly, then for them, yeah, I can see how it's a good thing. And I think as we progress with evolution, the older and older we're getting, we're still keeping a lot of our physical and mental abilities to do things like fly. 65 is not that old anymore. So I do see it changing. I do predict that there will be an age 70 at some point in the future. I don't think it'll be an international, it'll have a restriction on it to where, okay, you have to fly domestically and the other pilot in the, on the flight deck has to be at least like 60 or less or whatever. Um, but I could see that happening because what history has proven to me at least is that the industry is very much reactive because being reactive financially looks better on paper. And unfortunately, the proactive decision-making that really is what is making a company successful in the long term is just not practiced here in the U.S. Well said. Yep. Out on the money. And those that are listening in here, the coups and the, and the ahas, uh, for we have Miss Olivia joining us. Oh, she's adorable. Hello. Thank God she looks like her mommy, though. Ninety-five <laughs> percent. There you go. <laughs> Say hello. Say hi. Hi, Olivia. She can't hear. It. She's like, oh no. Oh, she's getting Say headphones hello. on. Hi. <laughs> hi, sweetie. Hi. She's adorable. She's gonna be your your producer. Soon enough, she'll be producing your show saying, uh, moving on. <laughs> yep. Nice. Well, I just want to say thank you, Kyle, for joining us today and Rob as well. We've had uh, some great conversation. Uh, we've been talking about these uh, featured guests that we're having. You know, schedules are what they are. Weather is what it is. Uh, and plus, for those of you following on the social media, I've got more and more projects happening every single day at the house there, including... I think maybe tomorrow if I make it home, a three-inch lift is going in on the FJ. So, wish me luck. Cool. As long as the parts get All there right. on time, you know. Now I might have some exciting news coming up too. I'll, I'll tell you if it happens. Oh, well, now yeah. you really have us curious. Great way to yeah, end the show, a little, Rob. Little teaser out there. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, new boat, Rob. Dave, oh. not saying anything. <laughs> Well, again, thank you to Rob D. and Kyle J. for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to spend this time with you. And thank you, Olivia, for dropping in on the show. Please help us out by sharing the podcast online and with your friends. Be sure to subscribe or follow to the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There you'll find audio archives, photos from the flight line, guestbook photo tab, and the Squawk Ident pilot shop. Where you can order an assortment of T-shirts, hugs, and mat, uh, hug, hugs. Where you can order an assortment of T-shirts, hats, mugs, and much more. 
You can also contribute to our show financially right there from our homepage, either through PayPal or however you can. And you can contribute financially with a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under Squawk Ident Podcast or Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. Also, a big final thank you to all of you for joining us today, for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll see you. Bye, Olivia. Bye, Olivia. Bye, Olivia. Bye. <laughs> she's like she's like bye-bye bye-bye <laughs> where's my bottle <laughs> yeah, she, she points and says just says It's an entirely different kind of flying.